Today I'm reading from Paul's letter to Christians living in Italy, in Rome, who were facing hard questions which Paul sought to address. I'm guessing today Italians and you and me, all of us the world over, have questions too that we are facing. And Paul's wisdom on experiencing difficult times is as true now as then, allowing what work needs to be done inside of us to mature as people, knowing that God loves us deeply. Paul has been talking about God's faithfulness and his undeserved favour, and he continues in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. This is God's word. Prometheus was the titan of Greek mythology, and he took the side of the Olympians and brave in battle helped Zeus ascend to the throne over all creation. And for his faithful service, Zeus offered Prometheus the opportunity to create the first man. Prometheus was happy to accept the invitation. He scooped up the clay from the earth. He formed bodies He breathed into them the spirit of life. He loved his new creations. Zeus did not. Zeus wanted to keep humanity on a tight leash. They were dangerous, capable of so much rebellion. But all along, Prometheus saw their potential. So he gave them the gifts of medicine, mathematics, art, science, all behind Zeus's back, of course. And then the unforgivable sin. Prometheus stole fire from Zeus and gave it to humanity so that civilization could properly flourish. Two terrible things happened as a result. Number one, Zeus chained Prometheus to a rocky clifftop in the Caucasus Mountains, as the story is told. And every day, a giant eagle would land on Prometheus's bare chest and tear out his liver and eat it. And the following night, his liver would grow back, only to have the eagle return the next day, where he would repeat this bloody ritual time and time again, world without end. But it wasn't just about the physical pain. For the ancient Greeks, the liver was the seat of human emotion. Zeus was torturing Prometheus's body, to be sure, but also his affections for caring too much for his creations. And a second thing happened. Zeus sent a beautiful, innocent, curious, gullible, childlike young woman whom he created himself to earth. Her name was Pandora, and she carried with her a box. 
The box had an inscription. I love you, it said. Those were Zeus's words. And the box contained the greatest gifts the, the gods could offer. It was Zeus's way of doing what Prometheus had done, of course. If Prometheus could give good, good gifts to humanity, so could Zeus. At least that is what he said. But Pandora was told very clear instructions, do not open that box. Well, what happens if you tell a beautiful, innocent, curious, gullible child not to do something? Don't open that door. Don't look behind that curtain. Don't open that box. The desire becomes so much, and like a moth drawn to the flame, what should have easily been avoided becomes inevitable. Pandora opens her box, and it is a disaster. It's a rolling series of disasters. It's all disaster. Every evil present in the world today is unleashed. Sickness, plague, hate, greed, murder, abuse, war. Like ethereal demons, to Pandora's horror, she sees them leaving her box and try as she might. And how she tried, she couldn't get the box closed. This ideal world, the world untouched by imperfection, takes its tragic turn. Yates was inspired by this story, I think, when he wrote, Things fall apart. The sinner cannot hold. Anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood dimmed tide is loosed and everywhere innocence is drowned but that's not quite the end of pandora's story one thing was left in the bottom of her box one thing a person a spirit a woman as beautiful as pandora herself the ancient greek poet hesiod said hope that was the spirit's name hope was all that was left after every evil had been released on the world. Pandora saw her. She saw hope in the bottom of that box. And finally, she was able to shut the top as quickly as she could. And there, hope remains. And thus, thinkers across the ages have wrestled with this parable, for that's what it is. Why? Evil is unleashed while hope is retained. What does that mean? And we are left with a few options. Number one, hope is evil in disguise. The worst of all evils. Because it only prolongs our suffering and gives us an artificial reason to persevere. It should be locked away. Or two, as hope has been withheld from humanity, we are on our own to face the evil so widespread in the world. And neither of these are very optimistic, are they? But there's a third option, a third way to view this story. It was a minority opinion in ancient times, but it was still there. Hope is not an evil that must be locked away. Hope is not lost. Hope isn't being withheld. Hope is now something to protect. The box of evil has been transformed into a treasure chest. It is the gift that forever remains, the gift that sustains us, though we are surrounded by evil, injustice, and yes, hopelessness. 
turning to a man whose story I love, and I have told this story so many times, I hope you don't bore of it. Vaclav Havel, the Czechoslovakian writer, he wrote plays and poetry and essays. He was an artist, but he was also a lifelong insurgent against his country's Soviet-backed communist government. And for that, he was blacklisted, he was often persecuted, and wasn't allowed to complete his college education. He spent years incarcerated as a political prisoner, but still he kept writing, and he kept working, and he kept pushing his country toward what he called, quote, direct democracy, where people take care of each other and take care of the world. He was eventually elected president of his country. After the Soviet regime collapsed and years later when Czechoslovakia divided peacefully along ethnic lines, creating the Czech Republic on one side and Slovakia on the other, Havel was elected president again. He was often asked how he stayed so positive because he had endured Nazi occupation. He had endured the Soviet invasion and oppression. He had been imprisoned. He had been censured. He had accepted the challenge of dividing the country peacefully and without violence. And his response is all you need to know about this beautiful man. He said, I am not an optimist nor a pessimist because I am not sure how everything will end. But I carry hope in my heart. Hope is not a feeling of certainty. Hope is the belief that life and work have meaning, and hope is as big a gift as life itself. I think that is the better translation of Pandora's story. It's certainly much more consistent with the Jesus story, with the Christian story, with the New Testament. You heard what Paul said. It was the reading for today. He got all of the theological virtues, as they are called in there, the three great theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. We have faith in Christ because we know that God loves us and God fills our hearts with love. So we have this confident hope, quoting, this hope that will not disappoint. And Paul throws in joy and peace for good measures. For good measure, it's about his upbeat as anything Paul ever wrote, because he wasn't always upbeat. And it is diametrically opposed to the cynicism of the Greek intellectuals of Paul's day, Greek theories that Paul would have known oh so well. Without a doubt, Paul knew the story of Pandora's box. Every person who could speak Greek, as Paul did, every person who had a higher education, as Paul had, Every person that was of Greco-Roman citizenship, as Paul was, knew this story. And for the most part, the Greeks took a very pessimistic view of hope, as has already been established. The great philosopher Aristotle believed that humanity could not be given too much hope. Give them too much hope and people will lose their fear, he said. And if they lose their fear, there will be no need for courage and if there is no need for courage, there'll be no way to rise to the status of that striving, tragic hero, etc., etc., etc. We don't really have hope, was the Greek conclusion. Things won't change. Life won't improve. There is no chance of ultimate justice. 
no chance of reconciliation. In the end, hope is locked away. We have been deprived of it. And to die is to be relieved of these illusions. Leapfrog centuries into the future. And the full-throated articulation of this position is Frederick Nietzsche. He thought the very idea of hope was deceptive. He said, hope is evil. It falsely disguises the true nature of life because life is hopeless. And then he said there are two things. This is Nietzsche. He said there are two things that if they could happen in your life, these would be the best possible outcomes for you. If we were all together right now, I'd say, are you ready for them? Because they're pretty good, maybe, if you're a philosopher. One is this, that you're never born. That would be the best thing that could ever happen is that you were never born because life is so hopeless. But if that's not possible, if you must burst the womb and enter the world, then two, the second best thing that can happen is that you die just as quickly as possible. Just die and get it over with as quick as you can. He softens his position a little as he ages, but his is a very much Pandora's box approach to the question of hope. Hope should be locked away. It is the worst of all evils. Or if it is locked away, it's just as well because it really can't help us anyway. It's not unlike the conversation that occurred on an airliner that had mechanical trouble as it was crossing the Atlantic Ocean. Pilot comes on the intercom and says, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Regret to inform you that we have lost one of our engines in flight, but it's okay. We have three other engines, and we'll be able to manage just fine. Nobody panics. Everything's fine. Comes back on the intercom a few minutes later and says, I sure do hate to come back on the intercom and talk to you right now, but we've lost our second engine. So we've made some flight adjustments, and uh, we'll, get you, we'll get you there safe. Again, no need to panic. They're down to two engines, and people on the plane are starting to feel a little uncomfortable. Sure enough, comes on there a little bit later. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're down, to, we're down to one engine now, and we have plotted a course for the closest landmass that we can get to. By now, it's pandemonium on the plane. Everybody's terrified, as I, as I would be. Uh, and then you know what happens. Comes back on, says, ladies and gentlemen, I regret to inform you that we've lost all engines, and only God can save us now. And in the pandemonium and, and everything that's going on, there was a lady in the plane that didn't hear that last line, only God can save us now. And she turns to someone else and she says, what did the pilot say? What did the pilot say? And the man answers, the pilot said, there's no hope. Because if there's not a God to save you, if God is not involved in some meaningful way in your life, there's no hope. That captures the nihilism, the underlying despair the hopeless pessimism of the world, a world that is without intention, without aim, or without some redemptive end. Life has no meaning. Individual existence is useless. The world has no purpose, no significance. Everything is absurd. And the best that we can do is eat and copulate and indulge ourselves, get all we can get and die young, which is a pretty good description of Western society these days. But Paul didn't have to wait on Western society. 
Paul didn't have to wait for the European continental philosophy of the 19th and 20th centuries to reach these conclusions. They were present in his own day, but he did not succumb to them. His message, the gospel message, is a radical change. It is a groundbreaking innovation. In Christ, this life need not be dominated by death. In Christ, there is purpose. In Christ, history is moving towards some sort of fulfillment. In Christ, there is a future reconciliation of all things. In Christ, there is some kind of meaning being made by our existence. Back to Havel's words, hope is the belief that life and work have meaning and hope is as big a gift as life itself. When you hear the word hope, that's the word I want you to hear meaning return to the text we have been made right in god's sight by faith we have peace with god because of what jesus christ has done we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing god's glory when we run into problems and trials we know that they help us develop endurance and then verses four and five and endurance develops strength of character and Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Insert, it gives us meaning. And this hope, this making of meaning, will not lead to disappointment. If you see hope as a synonym for purpose and meaning, it helps us get a hold on what we're talking about. Because hope can be such an ethereal word that it doesn't mean anything. But hope is purpose. It is significance. It is intention. It is consequence. It's not the power of positivity. It's not gullibility. It's not laziness where you hope for something to happen, but you never lift a finger to make it happen. It's not wishful thinking. It's not stupid optimism. Hope is the will to keep on keeping on. Hope is the spiritual octane that we need. Hope is a belief in the future. Hope is concluding that what we do and the lives that we live actually matter. And in our troubles, in our trials, in these ongoing tribulations and uphill climbs, we might not get an answer. We might not get an explanation. We might not live to see any resolution. It might be like that old gospel song. Well, I just have to understand it better by and by. But we carry hope in our hearts. We believe that there is something behind it all. Somehow, some way, our lives, even our sufferings, even our deaths are infused with meaning. Why else would God love us? Why else would Christ die for us? Why else would this universe sustain us if there wasn't some sort of meaning behind it all? I mentioned last week how so many people have become obsessed of late with the apocalypse. And I use the word differently, but the point remains how people are obsessed with it now. You can almost smell the wormwood and sulfur in the air as some people wait for the four horsemen of the apocalypse to appear on the horizon. Why do these end-of-the-world rumors erupt whenever there's a severe crisis? I mean, just look back at your history. World War I, it's the end of the world. The Great Depression, it's the end of the world. 
World War II, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the oil embargo, the Gulf War. Now it's the coronavirus pandemic and all the other crises of history. Why? Why do we get obsessed with the end when we're up against these sort of tragedies? It's because when things get sketchy and things get shaky, we go looking for help. We go looking for rescue. We need something to get us through. We need purpose. We need hope. The crisis, the despair activates within us a search for meaning. And I know I've been a bit philosophical today. Pandora and Aristotle and Nietzsche. But there's one more. One who clung to Christ even as his great mind ran loose in the intellectual world. Soren Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard said, Genuine hope can only be arrived at by despair. Genuine hope can only be arrived at by despair. That is, you have to be put up against the wall. You have to suffer. Your heart has to break. You have to reach the bottom of all that you can do. And when your heart is empty... And that box is empty, even Pandora's box. You find that hope, the treasure that is, is still there. It still remains. No, I don't believe that hope is evil in disguise, only stringing us along. I don't believe that hope is unattainable, withheld from us, leaving us at the mercy of all that is wrong in the world. Hope is what we discover when everything else is gone. It is the gift that remains. Because after all the evil had been poured out on the world, hope remains. I am not an optimist, nor a pessimist, because I am not sure how everything will end, but I carry hope in my heart. Hope is the belief that life and work have meaning and hope is as big a gift as life itself.